This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. From North State Public Radio in Northern California, I'm Jennifer Jewell. This past May, we lost one of the great women of gardening in our world when just short of her 95th birthday, Beth Chatto died after many years of being a global garden leader. This coming August 30th and 31st at the University of Essex, the Beth Chatto Educational Trust in Gardens hosts a symposium in Beth's honor and in celebration of her life and deep and wide gardening legacy. Today, we're joined by three plants people instrumental at the gardens and in the symposium planning and hosting. Beth Chatto Garden and Nursery Director David Ward, who's been with Beth and the gardens for more than 35 years. Also with us will be head gardener Asa Griggers-Warg and Amy Sanderson a recent garden intern and symposium coordinator, as well as a gardener and floral designer. The three of us join us today via Skype from their various locations in England and Canada. Welcome Dave, Amy, and Asa. Hi there. Hi. Hello. I would like to start with an introduction for each of you to give listeners a sense of your history with Beth and the gardens and what you do in relationship to the gardens and the symposium. Let's start with you, Dave. Well, my name is David Ward. Um, I am the garden and nursery director at the Beth Chateau Gardens. Sounds rather grand. I have been here for uh, 35 years. I actually started work on Beth's birthday 35 years ago, so the end of this month. And my responsibility is to oversee um, the gardens and the nursery. We have a large nursery attached to the gardens, the plant production side. And just oversee everything, make sure everything links together. You know, we're doing what Beth wants us to do and uh, following Beth's ethos. Mm. Uh, that's my role. I also sweep the patio. <laughs> Someone has to do it. Um, we'll, we will definitely speak more about your history in the nursery and uh, the, the nursery and the gardens a little bit later. But let's get an introduction to Asa first. So, hi, um, I'm Asa Gregersvorg uh, from Sweden originally. And I've been here with the Batata Gardens since 2001, so about 18 years now. So my role is really to maintain and make sure that the garden is moving forward. Uh, the garden itself is about seven acres. Um, so that's roughly three hectares. I've got a small team. The job is really to, to make sure that uh, the garden is looking its best at all times. Yeah. A big job, and you've been doing it for a long time, so we'll look forward to a little bit more about that as well. But first, let's meet Amy. I'm a gardener and florist from Alberta, Canada, and I actually met Dave and Asa while I was a student at Great Dixter, and after visiting Beth's, I wrote to see if I could study there for a year. So I spent 2017 volunteering in the garden and nursery and acting as kind of an unofficial florist in residence. Mm. And it was pretty much my dream come true, mm. living in the garden with 24-7 access, working with all these people with exceptional horticultural talent and knowledge, making friends who were willing to go garden tripping with me every weekend. And then the absolute pleasure was making flower arrangements for Beth and everyone else to enjoy. So it was just a really rich and rewarding time 
I can't believe there are too many of my listeners who don't know who Beth Chatto is, but I would love to go over a little bit of her history and and her work and her impact on our world of gardening. Dave, let's let's go to you to talk a little bit more about this and to put her her life and her legacy into just a little bit of a, a timeline perspective for people. Beth was born in 1923 um, in Essex, um, about 20, 25 miles away from the garden here in um, Good Easter, which is in Essex. Um, she trained as a teacher. Um, that was her sort of her job. Married her husband in 1940, uh, 1940s, I think it's 42 or 43. Andrew Chatto was a fruit farmer, and he owned about 100 acres of land around Elmstead Market, um, which eventually uh, became the site of the garden. They decided to settle on some part of the land, um, build a house in 1960, and. Um, Beth started to develop a garden, but before then she had been gardening with her parents the other side of uh, Colchester, um, actually next to an, a very old nursery that used to specialise in silver and grey plants. And mm. it was there really that she sort of developed her flower ranging skills as well. Though her husband was a fruit farmer, his his main interest and passion was um, studying plants in the wild, studying books, doing research on plant communities where plants grew in the wild um, and that pool of information he translated many books from Russian from Japanese and this is way way before the before the internet right. um, and it's that pool of knowledge that Beth used to find homes for plants in her garden that she developed here in Elmstead Market so so that was sort of throughout the sort of 60s the gardens being developed it sort of eventually she owned a nursery in 1967 called Unusual Plants really to sort of start to provide plants that she was taking around the country, displaying to people in flower arranging talks and plant talks about plants. Because in those days, there wasn't the sort of garden centre industry that there is these days. That, that's really how she sort of began the nursery and the garden together. Yeah. Um, and then eventually sort of evolved into being invited to go up to London and exhibit at the RHS shows, which she, she'd done one spring. She took up her plants and just arranged them as they are in the garden, all her hot, dry plants together, all her shade-loving plants together, all her moisture-loving plants together. And that really grabbed the public's and, and the press's imagination, really. They hadn't really seen this kind of display before. It was rather sort of staged displays, um, you know, plants in pots. And Beth went up and sort of arranged them as they grew in her garden so people could relate. So they could just look at a small section of Beth's stand and say, oh, I could grow those plants. I have a dry, shady spot and that led on to Chelsea Flower Show and she won 10 Chelsea gold medals one some of which are not far away from me now and I was lucky enough to be involved in the last four of Chelsea Beth's Chelsea exhibits so she ran from 1977 to 1987 but then she really I think she felt that the garden here was sort of becoming a bit compromised by all the effort and time putting into exhibiting at Chelsea and other flower shows so we took the decision to stop in 1987 to concentrate on the gardens here. And it was a very good good decision, actually, because in the autumn of that year, um, a storm came through and done a lot of damage, took a lot of trees down. And that was the catalyst for us to create, start to create the woodland garden, which 
Beth and her husband, Andrew, hadn't really, they didn't want to garden. It was always been agreed to leave it. And then um, in 1990, 91, we were able to start to create the gravel garden. So Andrew was a very large, you know, major influence to Beth, as was another gar- local gardener called Cedric Morris. Um, right. He was really Beth's mentor and a source of many, many plants for Beth in, in the early days. But I think the main thing is that she didn't sort of come into gardening really in a professional way or as a, as a livelihood until, you know, she was in her 40s, which right. um, is quite amazing. And, and, a, and an amazing communicator. That's really mm-hmm. through her books. The reason for the symposium is not only to celebrate her 95th year, but also the publication of her first book, The Dry Garden. Right. Um, and I mean, this past, where are we, three weeks now since Beth passed, we've had so many people um, who haven't met Beth, but they've been, you know, they've read her books and they feel as if they, you know, they've been touched by, by her writing. Yeah. Um, it's been quite amazing, actually. I would um, bet it has been because she, she really was formative. I'm 52. And when the gravel garden came out at the time I was in Colorado and I had been living in Bristol, England for two years. And then the gravel garden came out and that was really just powerfully moving to me and something I had never seen before. And I think it is remarkable, one, her partnership with Andrew and the way their two uh, interests and aesthetics combine to make this really unique garden and plant knowledge and communication into the world. And the the unusual plants, the name of the nursery for, is it still called unusual plants? No, we know just the Beth Chateau Gardens. Right. Um, but I, th- I believe the business is still registered as, it's still a sort of registered business, but we don't use it. Right. And I, I was happy to see the, the unusual plants logo um, on the, the Beth Chateau Education Trust logo. And Yeah, no, that was a nice little retro. Yeah. My last night, my partner actually went down to his basement and he was a nurseryman for many years here. And he traveled over in the late 90s. And um, so he pulled out two or three of the unusual plant catalogs for us to look through last night, which was great. So she's 37 when she starts the garden that she became famous for. And she is, I think... 55 by the time she she publishes her first book, The Dry Garden, in 1978. And she goes on to have this amazing career. Now, granted, she had started her career in floristry and on a speaking circuit for floral clubs across the United mm-hmm. Kingdom. And this really kind of built up her her, her knowledge and what she could see people were hungry for. The gardens get started in 1960. I just want to acknowledge how great it is, Dave, that you're able to share so much of her story with people now and really carry 35 years of her career with you into leading the garden forward with the great group of people that are there now. And we'll talk a little bit more about its its work and mission moving forward towards the end of the program. Thank you for that historical overview of her of her work. So Asa, let's move to you to talk about the different areas of the garden. You mentioned that it's about seven acres, and you started to give us a sense of these different areas, as did Dave. Give us a little bit more description of the different parts of the garden and you as head gardener 
working in that space? I suppose that the first thing to, to really point out is that when Beth and Andrew moved here in 1960, uh, this was just uh, considered a wasteland and it was either too uh, dry and gravelly soil or too, too wet and boggy. Um, but Beth and Andrew decided to really work with nature and uh, turn these, what most people would consider as very, very difficult areas and problem areas into a beautiful garden. So we are quite lucky. So the garden is only about seven acres, but we have a really varied range of growing conditions. So we've got the gravel garden, uh, which is very, very sandy and free draining. And we've got the water garden, which is where we grow moisture loving plants. But as visitors come into the garden from the car park, so the gravel garden is probably the part that Beth is most famous for just because it was so different uh, when she created it. Um, we have got an average rainfall here in dry Essex with about 20 inches of rain uh, equally distributed throughout the year. It is very dry uh, for being in the UK. Mm-hmm. And uh, Beth used to say that even that the native weeds would you know, curl up and, and die in the summer. <laughs> but Beth was absolutely convinced that she could create uh, a beautiful garden that didn't need irrigation. Um, so all the plants in the gravel garden are chosen because of their drought tolerance. Um, and then if you just move, move a few meters down um, a slope into the water garden, we've got a completely different feel and, and atmosphere. It was just a spring-fed ditch when, when Beth and Andrew arrived, but it's now a series of, of four ponds. And it's the place where we can grow ganneras, big eubatorium, miscanthesis. Um, so it's very lush and green um, and feels very tranquil. And then moving on from the water garden, we've got the reservoir garden. Uh, called so because of the the water reservoir that used to belong to Andrew Chateau's fruit farm. Uh, It now belongs to a neighbouring farmer. And that's an open area uh, with an improved clay soil. After that, we've got the the woodland garden, which is uh, quite a sandy soil. It's a very sort of free draining, gets very dry in the summer. Um, That was left for many years um, as a conservation area. But after the big storm in, in 1987, when a lot of the trees came down, uh, Beth decided to turn it into a woodland garden. And then as we walk back through the rest of our garden, we end up in the little scree garden, uh, which is just next to the house. Um, and it's just uh, a few raised beds, uh, very similar soil to the gravel garden, but with plants that Beth felt that you know, would get trodden on I'm not necessarily seen in the gravel garden. So that's really the the five areas of the garden. Hmm. Is there a direct correlation between what's in these five distinct gardens and what is available in the nursery? Is there a kind of back and forth of developing plants in the nursery that then you try in the garden? Or is it the reverse where you trial things in the garden and then you introduce them in the nursery? Or is it both? And maybe that's a question for Dave. I'm not sure. Well, I would say it's both. Mm -hmm. Uh, We quite often start plants off on the nursery, but um, equally often there might be, you know, a plant that managed to find its way into the garden. And we really want to sell good garden-worthy plants. 
Uh, so it's really important for us to make sure that, you know, they don't just look good in a pot. So it's really important to um, try them out in a garden setting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How many people are on staff with you there at the garden, Asa? So in the garden department, there are two of us full time. Mm-hmm. So it's my myself and um, my, my colleague, Sally. Mm-hmm. And we also got two trainees. Um, they're here for two years and they um, alternate between the garden and the nursery. So one of them spends a month in the garden and then goes over to the nursery and they sort of swap over. Um, we also have, like last year, we had Amy and uh, we got um, a girl from Lithuania this year who's with us for the summer. And then we have a, a group of volunteers that come in and spend between three and, and five hours Um for a day each week. Mm, nice. How many volunteers total do you have coming in? It really, really varies. We mm. probably got about 40, 50 volunteers in total, but some days we will have one or two volunteers. Some days we will have eight volunteers. So it really, really varies. Yeah, yeah. And as you say, the garden needs to look good year round and um, because it is open to the public year round as a demonstration garden, a nursery and kind of an event center with other things happening there routinely. Is that correct? Yes, we have more events, classes and and courses. Um, And as you said, we're open seven days a week now. When I started in in 2001, we used to be closed on on Sundays, but um, we're now open all year round, apart from a couple of weeks over Christmas. Yeah. Wow. That's That's quite an endeavor. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Today, we're speaking with David Ward, Asa Griegers-Warg, and Amy Sanderson about the life and legacy of plantswoman Beth Chatto, who died this past May. This coming August, the Beth Chatto Educational Trust is hosting the Beth Chatto Symposium at the University of Essex to both honor and continue Beth's lifelong work of exploring and sharing knowledge of plants and ecological planting methods and means. We'll be back after a break. Stay with us. Hi, it's Jennifer. You know, I was living in Bristol, England, when Beth Chatto's The Gravel Garden was published by Francis Lincoln in 2000. It changed my whole world. I had grown up gardening in the arid U.S. West at 8,000 feet in the Colorado Rockies. Many of you know this, and that my mother was a gardener and floral designer. So I know what a dry garden can be which is pretty lovely, I must say. But to see the experimental and divinely lush, low water, regionally appropriate, drop-dead gorgeous gardens that Beth Chatto had crafted in her challenging bit of ground was a ground shift moment for me. When I looked at the range of plants and flowers and intermingled communities and thought, that is a garden. Beth did not create gardens that wanted to grow everywhere else. She and her husband, Andrew, grew plants that wanted to live with them, in their specific soil, with their specific weather patterns and rainfall. 
she grew a garden suited to her place. It reminds me of listening to botanist Julie Nelson last week when she recommended to us that we grow plants that love us, not necessarily being the same as plants we think we love. Another way of saying this is perhaps that the one thing we can likely all agree on is that the plants that are happiest in our gardens will in turn make us the happiest as gardeners. Beth Chatto and her gardens embodied this idea on both an ecological and aesthetic level that resonated with gardeners and plants people everywhere. Her students, which number any of us who've read her books, seen her work, or visited her home gardens, are legion, and her educational legacy, like any healthy mycorrhizal network, will continue to flourish. What our own legacies will be, hmm, now that's something to keep working on every gardening day. Now, back to our conversation with David Ward, Asa Griegers-Warg, and Amy Sanderson at the Beth Chatto Gardens. The big upcoming event, the Beth Chatto Symposium, being held um, the end of August this year. And so I would love to move now to Amy to tell us a little bit more about the original impetus for the symposium and an overview of what attendees will be able to expect. For sure. So we originally dreamed up the symposium as a celebration of Beth's 95th year um, and in celebration of the 40th anniversary of the publication of her first book, The Dry Garden. With Beth passing, that that's changed, It's but it's still at the heart, a celebration of her life work and her legacy in horticulture. Um, it was so exciting for all of us, I think, to tell her about who was gonna, who was coming, who was gonna speak. She was really looking forward to welcoming everyone to the garden, and I, I really feel that that hasn't changed. I know that hasn't changed. Um, for Beth, teaching, passing on knowledge, it was so important to her, and so this symposium is a really important way for us to honor that. Um, we're inviting people, we're inviting garden designers, uh, nursery men and women, and the gardeners themselves. All these people are, their their work has built off of her work, and many are friends of the garden and friends of Beth herself, and we're just thrilled to gather them all together and then have people come and learn from them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's it's going to be two days of, of lectures and panels. Um, we have speakers coming from all over the world for, I think it's a very unique opportunity. We have someone like Dan Pearson, who's an award-winning landscape and garden designer. He's known for his sensitive plant combinations, um, and he's been deeply influenced by his friendship with Beth. And so he'll be discussing his naturalistic design process. And then following him, you'll have Midori Shintani, who is the head gardener at Tokachi Millennium Forest in Hokkaido, Japan. And that's a garden that was designed by Dan. So you'll have her discussing how his naturalistic style intersects with traditional Japanese horticulture. And then at um, following two more speakers, you'll have Dan and Midori on stage together um, discussing how, how their collaboration works and brings to life this big public garden and maintains it over the years and, and how it changes. Um, I think it's just a very unique opportunity to have everyone come together that makes these gardens come to life. So 
you're also going to get to hear from the plants people that are growing these plants. So we have someone like Marina Christopher, Mm -hmm. who's a well-known plants woman from the UK, and she's long promoted perennial plants for ecological gardening and grown wildflowers and species plants and written about them. Um, And so she's going to bring her decades of experience in propagating these difficult plants for nursery sales, design projects, Chelsea displays. I mean, she's really done it all. Um, And we wanted to give her space to share her practical skills with in, in propagation. And so she'll get to sit on several panels with um, Peter Korn, who's a Swedish plantsman and designer, who's been really innovative in the way that he designs with plants and grows plants. Um, and also you'll hear from Asa on that panel. Um, and then she'll also sit on a panel with uh, people like Peter Yonker, who's a designer and plantsman from Germany. Um, and he came and studied with Beth and now has a nursery and display garden that follows Beth's principles, um, like, including a really beautiful gravel garden. He has a real eye for plants. So um, we have several selections in the Beth Shadow Gardens that you'll that attendees will be able to see when they come. And he'll be speaking on his contemporary garden design, but also discussing how he trials and selects plants. Um, and then... You know, we have people like uh, James Hitchmo, who is incredibly influential in this area. He's the head of department and professor of horticultural ecology at the University of Sheffield. Hmm. And he's giving two talks, um, one which is an introductory overview of ecological planting, sort of where did it come from, where are we going with it? Um, And the other one will be on his work with Seed Sow Meadows. And then we have someone like Andy Pettis, who's the director of horticulture of the High Line in New York. Mm-hmm. And she'll speak about how her team manages and adapts Pete Aldoff's planting design. And then the really unique challenges of working in such a high density, highly popular space. Um, and, and James and Andy will be sitting on that same panel with Midori and Dan. So I, again, like that, for me, that panel is just it's going to be so fascinating to get to hear about the collaborative nature of these really high profile public projects mm-hmm. um, and the challenges of balancing ecologically driven design and maintenance practices with the emotional aesthetic and practical needs of garden visitors. Um, Taylor Johnston is our moderator for all these panels oh. and she's a U.S. gardener, designer and nursery woman. And I, what I love about Taylor is she's, um, she really tends towards a philosophical approach, which I really opens up conversation. We've been really clear from the start that the symposium isn't about giving people one definition or one way, mm. but we want to show a diverse range of ways to think about and approach ecological planting. And I, I'm really confident that she's going to bring out some interesting discussions. Yeah. Um, we have Oliver Filippi, who is a nurseryman from France. And he's studied and written several books on using Mediterranean plants and drought-tolerant designs. And he'll be discussing the Mediterranean landscape as design inspiration and also sitting on another panel that I'm really looking forward to um, with Keith Wiley and Cashin Schmidt. Mm. And that's going to be on the art and science of the wild garden. Um, all three of, the, of these men are, are really passionate about natural plant communities, but it leads them to really different places. I mean, all of your... One of the things he's exploring right now is allelopathic plants and mm. looking at how they can be used to make stable, low-maintenance plant communities. Whereas you have someone like Keith Wiley, who's very much into the aesthetic side. He's he's deepening his artistic renderings over the years in of natural plant communities. And if you go to his garden in Devon, I mean, it's 
it, yeah, it's very fascinating how he's translated what he's seeing in natural plant communities into something that really brings out the emotional experience of those of those encounters. Hmm. Um, and he's taking his deep plant knowledge to, to do so, basically. So all of these these guys have just amazing plant knowledge. And I think what Keith is important, Keith is important to include because he really bridges that gap between the aesthetic sides of gardening and the technical aspects of ecological planting. Mm -hmm. And again, you also have someone like Cashin Schmidt, who's um, director of the German garden Hermannshof, which is one of their oldest ecological trial gardens. And he's really interested in creating planting schemes that are modeled on natural plant communities. And the thing that's unique about Hermannshof is they conduct really rigorous, extensive trials on plant fitness, but also on maintenance and how long it takes them to weed like a square meter. Um, it's really practical stuff. And and Cashin is able to combine that information with his very clear love of plants and bring an artistic eye to the to the design process. Yeah. Um, so I think all three really articulate the ways that they make these choices and how they can't be clear cut between ecology and aesthetics. You know, being dogmatic, as so often happens in the native plant or conservation world, mm -hmm. I think dooms opportunities for success. So I'm I'm really thrilled that this symposium, you're going to see a really wide spectrum of views on on what ecological planting includes or inc should incorporate and how they're making decisions um, for the interests of the public for themselves and and how to make these spaces that are emotionally resonant and beautiful to be in but also recognize the the challenges that we face as the climate changes and as our resources become more limited yeah which is just so valuable and you 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 said a couple of things in that walkthrough of the symposium that i want to follow up on a little bit first of all the whole symposium sounds just out of this world and to hear all of those names involved in all of these aspects of the plant world is such a beautiful overview of how much impact someone like beth chatto has had in our world because you could probably take something that any one of these people are doing and trace it back one or two degrees of separation to her foundational work in the 60s with Andrew really well before it well before 30 years before its time in in other areas of the world especially on the level she was doing it the concept of ecological planting and ecological design has really come to the fore over the last 10, 15 years. And the its importance, of course, is, is felt across the globe uh, among planting communities. And what's interesting from my side of the world in California, in the United States, is that we see this kind of intensity and this this knowledge coming to bear on these critical issues at the same time that we see this alternately growing movement of more and more gardeners moving to, you know, what we in the U.S. call the big box stores and getting whatever is available at the time and popping it in the in the garden. So we have these two different kind of opposite sides of the coin. And 
to hear the level of expertise and passion at this symposium just gives me so much hope for the planting world. And I so wish that I could be there, but I can't be there, Amy, because I have children and I have to be getting them back to school at that time. So tell me, what will be the opportunities for people not able to attend to learn more from what comes together at this symposium? Well, I think we are looking towards how we can um, capture some of the information that will be shared at the symposium for sure. And whether that will be, you know, whether we can record some of the sessions or record interviews with some of the speakers, because I know many are coming in sort of ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure how, we'll, we're, we're, gonna, we're very much concerned about making sure that this is a legacy project. So we yeah. want to capture that information and make sure it's available to the widest number of people. Um, but also, I mean, all of these people have have written extensively. They speak all around the world. I was just thinking about, I, I didn't get a chance to tell you about Peter Korn, really, who's a, a Swedish plantsman, and, and he um, he's known for planting in sand, for growing plants in sand. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting his book, ordering it from his website, and and you can't get it anywhere. And it was, just reading it was, blew my mind. You know, like, here was this guy who was growing in a... Conditions very similar to ours, where you have a six months of winter, and he was growing all of these unique plants that pushing the zone because he was getting crazy root development out of out of these plants, growing them in sand. And you know, it, it's true. You just have so much knowledge here, and if you go looking for it, there's there's all kinds of places that you can access what these people are all researching mm-hmm. and and working with. I mean, I've watched hours of YouTube footage, so <laughs> yeah. I think if you Google any one of these people you'll be able to find um, lots of places where their work has been published or where lectures are available. And we'll do our best to make sure that that is also something that comes from us. Well, no matter what comes out as a final product uh, that other people might be able to tap into from the symposium, really well done, all of you, for putting together this amazing group of people in these different ways. I love the combination of the individual presentations, some hands-on, some probably more visual, and then the panels where they can really kind of dig into some of the meaty questions of gardeners at this time in terms of dwindling resources, climate change, and how to how to be helpful in those situations and also make opportunities with them. It is a really impressive lineup and should be really seminal. So well done you. Thank you. We're very excited. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Today, we're speaking with David Ward, Asa Griegers-Warg, and Amy Sanderson of the Beth Chatto Gardening Symposium about the life and legacy of plantswoman Beth Chatto, who died this past May. This coming August 30th and 31st, the Beth Chatto Educational Trust is hosting a symposium at the University of Essex to both honor and continue Beth's lifelong work of exploring and sharing knowledge of plants and ecological planting methods and means. We'll be right back after a break to hear more. Stay with us. It's me, Jennifer, again. Plant communities and relationships, this really seemed to be an underlying concept through the course of this conversation with David, Asa, and Amy. 
It started perhaps right off the bat with the description of how Beth Chatto and her husband Andrew worked together on the creation of the Beth Chatto Gardens upon his retirement from his career. They pooled their interest and passions and time. Together, they created this garden that then, in many ways, grew the three people we're speaking with today. And these gardens continue to grow plants and plants people in the form of school garden outreach, plant introductions, educational programming, annual interns and volunteers. It's literally a worldwide web of gardeners making a difference in the way we treat and live within the complex cultural and natural ecosystems of our world. I think I must say something like this every single week, which is perhaps painfully repetitive to you all, but can the lasting impact of this work really ever be overstated, oversupported, and paid forward? I don't think so. Even if you can't get to this truly remarkable Beth Shadow Symposium this August, which I wish we all could get to, I really hope you find your community of gardeners in some way, and you spend some time in just pure enjoyment, appreciation, and support of one another, as often as you can. Just as our plants like their own communities, we plants people thrive more vigorously in community as well. Whether it's a regular group you garden with like Pen Pender and her Friday Garden, and Tea and Sweets group in Australia, or the volunteers who show up consistently at the Beth Chatto Gardens or any public garden, or it's taking part in your local garden or flower society or hiking club. Find your people. You'll be glad you did. Because as you know, I believe, we gardeners, we're a lot of people, and we make a difference in this world. We make a difference to our individual and communal well-beings, to the environment, to the economy, to the culture and health of our towns and cities. We make a difference for the better. And while we may not see each other in person, I definitely consider you all my people. And this conversation that we have every week, it's part of my gardening community. If you don't already subscribe to the monthly newsletter, A View From Here, sign up while you're at the website. It's a really good way for me to stay in touch with you. You can also always leave a comment on this episode's post on Instagram or Facebook. I'm on Instagram daily and Facebook weekly. Join me there. Say hi. I'd love to connect. Okay, now back to more on the Beth Chatto Symposium coming up this August at the University of Essex. When you think about something like a legacy project, that brings me to the Beth Chatto Educational Trust. I would love to hear more about when she established the trust and her hopes for it and how it will reflect her legacy and move the garden and its mission forward. So I think I'll come back to you, Dave, to tell us a little bit more about the Beth Chatto Education Trust. Okay. Um, well, for many years, really, we've tried to encourage, I mean, Beth encouraged people through writings, talks, um, visits abroad, etc., um, to educate people about her work, her um, ethos of, although she didn't invent the term, but she certainly pushed it right plant, right place, mm -hmm. and that, what she was doing here. Um, but 
contrary to that, we were a, a sort of business, a working garden, very busy, and it was always quite difficult to find the time and the resources, perhaps to, to re, you know, to really do it justice. So we've always wanted to educate people. Um, but we were concerned about the impact it would have on 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 the business. You know, we, we're gardeners. We're very, you know, lots of things to do. We decided to look, look into the possibility of setting up an educational trust. And Beth's granddaughter, who now runs the firm, Julia Bolton, was very keen on pushing this. Um, and we were able to connect with a lady who used to work for our local wildlife trust and put into place the trust about two, two, three years ago now, um, set it up. Uh, really with a view to educating people, the public, um, students, young people, into the ecological way of gardening, Beth's way of gardening, the wildlife connected to it, to sort of link into the um, national curriculum here in the UK. Um, so lots of courses for children. And also we now are able to run adult courses through the Educational Trust. Um, so really it's promoting Beth's, um, you know, long-held wish, really, to, 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 to pass on her knowledge, really, and the experience that we've gained here in the gardens to a new generation. It's great to see youngsters coming along mm -hmm. and their parents, of course, who are um, so really the next generation of gardeners, 20, 30-year-olds um, coming along. So it's just given us a wonderful connect with uh with the local public and a younger um demographic as well yeah and the symposium is being held under the umbrella of the education trust will you hope to put on more uh multi-day symposia like events going forward I think the possibility is kind of endless. I think we'd mm -hmm. we'd love to see how this goes first. I'm sure it'll go really well, but um, uh, it's probably a big ask to do it on an annual event, maybe every five, ten years or something, because it's quite a. I think Amy used the words unique, and it is a unique gathering of people, mm -hmm. um, plants people, experts, probably unheralded really. Um, and we're so grateful that all the speakers that we asked um, came on board, really. You know, because of Beth's Beth's legacy, really. Yeah. Um, so hopefully, you know, we can have some spin-offs from it. Maybe shorter one-day courses. Um, maybe some of the speakers would come and expand on on what they talked about at the symposium. Um, so that's really really where we're looking to go with it. Yeah. Currently, Dave, the garden is being overseen, executive director level. Is that is her niece Julia Bolton? Is that correct? Um, Julia is the managing director of the Beth Chateau Gardens. Mm -hmm. um, she, along with myself and Beth's daughter um, Mary, are trustees of the Educational Trust. Mm -hmm. um, so the two work very much hand in hand. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's that's, and then of course. There are um, myself and another long-standing member of staff, Gerard Page, who's the sort of technical guy, um, oversee with the two directors. And then people such as Orsa, who is the garden um, head gardener, Emily, who's our production propagation manager on the nursery side. We have a large mail order section, so we have... Um, so that's the sort of structure down to mm -hmm. a very dedicated workforce um, over many, many years. And Beth would 
always acknowledge the, the the her staff and the involvement and the fact that she couldn't have achieved what she has achieved um, without her, without the help and the commitment and dedication of her staff. Absolutely yeah. not. And as the garden and the nursery move forward, and now with the educational branch really activated as well, mm-hmm. what what are the sort of principles for moving forward without Beth? Is it a a an experimental evolution? Is it a strict preservation? What is what is your vision going forward as a, a group of people? I think really it's um I mean we have Beth has not been quite so active in the garden for the past four years or so, four or five years. So she has you know, I think it was very difficult for her to sort of hand it on when she was actively involved in the garden, but <clears throat> you know, she she has She's been very supportive over the past few years of different projects that we've done. Um, <clears throat> also mentioned the, the new reservoir garden, which was um, a new planting for us. Really the first planting we've done without Beth's direct involvement, although she was, um, you know, we kept her informed of what we were doing the whole time. Um, so I think really it's going to be a mixture really it's uh, obviously maintaining beth's ethos and i think we're all um thoroughly immersed in in the way that the gardens naturally really with the conditions as also mentioned the hot dry gravel the water the shady areas dry shade you know we're governed by those conditions so the plantings we do new plantings will you know we will we'll naturally fall back on beth's um planting palette but also we wish to introduce new plants we used to find new plants um which is what beth would do she wouldn't go away really and take other ideas from other gardens she would perhaps on her many trips abroad or in this country she would she would go away and perhaps notice plants plant combinations and she'd come back and think how can i fit them into my garden my way of gardening mm-hmm. um and i think that's or it might have been practices on the nursery um rather sort of famously she she went over to germany as she often did um for a busman's holidays we call it uh, on the um von zeppelin's nursery in in laufen in germany and uh we come back and we've had a wonderful new way of potting hmm. so we had to all learn the way of potting and for many years after that she would always check um how we were potting if we were potting efficiently so you know little things like that um would come back but how they would fit in with with our with her way of gardening Um, so i think it's going to be a mixture of things we have lots of new plants we want to trial in the garden um our customers love to see new plants in the garden and then of course they love to buy them on the nursery that's the whole this the way this place works Mm -hmm. so um you know that's a challenge for both the gardeners and and for the people on the nursery to propagate these plants as quickly as possible because our whole ethos as Beth, as I've often I've, I've seen in the past few weeks, the tributes to Beth, often calling her a nursery woman yeah. um, above a gardener. And she was a very good nursery woman, self-taught, um, had some quite unique ways to propagate plants. Uh, uh, and we want to carry that forward. We want to propagate all as many plants as we possibly can from the gardens. Yeah. I love that because um, as Beth was the first person to, you know, 
admit probably the plants the plants teach us as much as we teach yes. them so uh, or work with them they they teach us what what they need so when you think about this symposium and this gathering of people coming together in this beautiful garden celebrating the life and work and legacy of this wonderful woman what dave are your greatest hopes for the symposium um well, I think first and foremost, it's a fantastic, unique opportunity to see all these wonderful speakers together, some who, of whom have a great personal connection to Beth, and Beth was so looking forward to meeting up with many of them again, mm-hmm. some of whom have never met Beth, and um, I think, but they all have this, this connection in some way um, to Beth and Beth's work, so I think just having that pool of people, knowledge, experience, and and if I may say love for Beth and um, you know her part that she's played in in this this ecological way of gardening um, and then all the attendees um, coming from all over the world um, that's going to be great many who, of whom you know we've been in sort of personal contact with for various reasons and um, you know it's going to be great to see people from all over um, I don't know how many countries there are 20 or so different countries um, that's going to be fascinating and yeah it's going to be a really unique event um the weather will be wonderful of course and we will have them back here at the gardens many of whom i know are looking forward so much to come to the gardens so it's going to be great just to for them to experience the gardens be it on the lead up to the university or perhaps the weekend after and of course the evening um between the between the two days of the symposium mm-hmm. yeah it's just, it's just i'm just so looking forward to it as amy said yeah and Asa, what about you? What are what are your greatest hopes for the symposium coming up? Well, as David was saying, I mean, there's so many people coming from different parts of the world, and uh, the lineup obviously is, is fantastic. But I think what I'm really most looking forward to is just you know, we have this opportunity to, to bring all these people together, um, and um, I'm really looking forward to to meeting attendees and being able to to show them the garden uh, but also giving people the opportunity to to network hopefully you know make very important connections for the future and um, I think that's really the, the, the key thing for me yeah and what about you Amy what are your greatest hopes for this symposium that you've put all of this love and heart into organizing I'm most excited for the young people who are coming, I think. Um, Early in our planning process, I was talking to James Hitchmo, and he said something like, look, this is pretty niche stuff. Like, those of us who are into it are a bunch of weirdos. And I (laughs) I found that so reassuring, you know? Like, you have to verge into the obsessively passionate to get into ecological planting because it requires such a deep horticultural and scientific knowledge. And it also requires artistry. So you have to wear a lot of different hats. And I think there can come a loneliness from operating out there on the edge of experimentation or engaging with these ideas deeply. They're really complicated. And so I'm most excited for all the young horticulturalists who get to come meet others who share their super niche passions, be exposed to the complex thinking and decision making that our speakers are engaging in and see what can be made from a bramble filled ditch and gravel parking lot with a few decades of determination and work. So basically, I'm hoping to make a bunch of new friends and... um, yeah, I'm just thrilled that they can all come experience the garden, see it in the evening, um, and really, yeah, meet new people and and hear 
what what's happening out there in the world of horticulture. Yeah. There is a there is a fantastic synergy that happens when you get such a group of people all gathered together with a a like minded um, obsession. So uh, I am imagining that young and old will leave their pretty lit up. Um, thank you all of you for being a part of the conversation today and taking time out. I know it is a very busy and intense time there at the garden and in the process of planning. And let me just say, um, I am sure the the loss is palpable every day. And I'm sure that the presence of Beth is palpable every day. And that will remain the case. Um, Thank you all for being guests on the program today, Dave, Asa, and Amy. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Thanks for Thank having you. us. David Ward is the Garden and Nursery Director at the Beth Chateau Gardens. He's worked with Beth at the gardens for more than 35 years. Asa Griggers Warg is the head gardener at the Beth Chateau Gardens and will be speaking on a panel at the symposium about the building blocks of an ecological garden. And finally, gardener and floral designer Amy Sanderson of Canada is a recent Beth Chateau and Great Dixter garden intern. She is also the coordinator of the Beth Chateau Symposium. The symposium will take place at the University of Essex. Speakers from around the world will share the ways in which they are reimagining ecological gardening in both design and practice, and working to further advance and expand our horticultural plant palette. A private garden party will also be held at the Beth Chateau Gardens and Nursery for friends and fellow gardeners. All proceeds from the symposium will go to support the work of the Beth Chateau Education Trust. For more information on the symposium and how to register, please go to today's episode notes at cultivatingplace.com. Join us again next week as the conversations continue on the many ways that people engage in and grow from the cultivation of their places. Cultivating Place is a listener-supported co-production of North State Public Radio. Our producer is Sarah Bohannon. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. To subscribe to the Cultivating Place podcast so you never miss a conversation, as well as to read more about and see many photos of Beth Chatto's life and gardens, head over to cultivatingplace.com. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.